Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed. The Weighing Machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think. On the podcast today, an outsourced chief investment officer. We'll find out what that is and why you should think about it. We will discuss OCIOs, direct indexing, TAMPs, and the outlook for the wealth management industry. That's with our guest, Kurt Brown, Chief Investment Officer at Townsquare Capital and head of Orion OCIO. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman. And I'm Robert Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. 2022 is coming to a close, so let's take a look ahead. What are you watching for at the moment, and what's your outlook for 2023? Well, as for what we're watching now, it's basically the same storylines we've been talking about for a while. It really comes down to the economic data and the inflation data in particular, because in turn, that impacts what the Federal Reserve might do. Also, economic growth. And are those storm clouds on the horizon? Are we going to get a recession in 2023? And what could be the potential impact on corporate earnings? As for 2023 forecasts, of course, it's at that time of year for we're getting a lot of them. And the range of forecasts have been fascinating, whether you're looking at Wall Street, buy side, sell side, anybody who's got a forecast, there is so much dispersion in the forecast. It's more than I can seem to recall. It's just not your typical 8 to 10% return for the US stock market. We're seeing a lot of people forecast losses for next year. And we're also seeing quite a few double-digit gain forecasts. So, of course, the only thing we know, the only thing we're certain about is uncertainty. But with expectations this diverse, you know what our outlook is, and that is to stay diversified. So I do expect that diversified portfolios will do well next year. That said, since this podcast is scheduled to be our first published podcast in 2023, and given that we have an experienced and highly successful investment manager on this podcast, I'm eager to hear his views on the outlook as well. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Kurt Brown is the Chief Investment Officer at Town Square Capital in Salt Lake City, and he has a new position as head of OCIO at Orion. Kurt, welcome to The Weighing Machine. Robin and Rusty, good to be here with you guys. This is a big day for me. You know, since we closed the acquisition, I've been wondering when I'm getting the invitation to The Weighing Machine, Rusty. (laughs) Well, you're here. I'm so glad you're here, too. And I already could have a guess that we're going to start this podcast off with so much energy because now we need to know what your walk-up song is, our standard initiation question for people on the podcast. What is the song that we can hear in the background as Kurt Brown takes the stage? Oh, this was incredibly difficult that you asked me this question. As a big classic rock fan, I'm going with something totally out of the box, though. Saw this at a Major League Baseball game earlier in the year. Nobody will ever pick this song for you again. It's called Narco by a DJ named Timmy Trumpet. Wow. Oh, you know, that song is at so many sporting events right now, and it played incessantly, and it's still not enough. Yeah. Wow, that is yeah. a great walk-up song. That is probably the most walk up song yet. That's probably even better than like Welcome to the Jungle and Back in Black. I mean, that is a great walk-up song. So now we are fired up and ready to go. We saw Timmy <laughs> play this live 
at a Mets game when Cruz came in from the bullpen. Like, it really is the ultimate walk-up song. So I thought I'd try something out of the box. That'll get us going. Beautiful. That's great. Nice. All right. Well, Kurt, you have been at Town Square for five years. You're also an adjunct professor at Brigham Young University. And now you have this new position at Orion. So tell us more about your background, where you're coming from, and some of the work that you do. Yeah. So I've been in the capital markets business about 30 years. Started as a floor trader in New York with an investment bank called Montgomery Securities. Used to trade derivatives, traded equities, and then was able to work my way over to the buy side, was the co-manager of a large cap growth fund for about 13 years. And during that time, that was the first time really in my career that I had started meeting financial advisors that were using our fund, you know, on different platforms, you know, different TAMPs, some coming out of wirehouses and whatnot. And that's where we really kind of incubated this idea for our OCIO program was really kind of through that time. So yeah, I've been fortunate. I've been able to work in some different pockets of Wall Street. And man, I've been blessed to have the career that I have. And really ending up at Orion is not something, honestly, that I saw coming. But as we built out our OCIO group, and we're really experiencing a pretty high growth clip, Orion just became a no-brainer of a partner. And so we, like I said, we closed the deal earlier this summer, and it's, it's been a blast getting to know everybody here. Right. Well, tell us more about Town Square, your team and the philosophy at the firm. Yeah. So really the background on it is important because the trend that we thought created the opportunity was that a lot of talent in the advisory space has been leaving the wirehouses. You know, 30 years ago, I came into the business. If you're a family with a lot of money, you're going to Goldman, you're going to UBS, Morgan Stanley, right? They are the ones with the solutions. That is changing. You know, we've gone in 20 years from 55% of all assets being at wirehouse banks to about 35%. So there's been this persistent movement and trend, but here's the difficulty. If you're a financial advisor and you run a relatively small shop, it's difficult to add the horsepower to compete with the big banks, right? So let's say you run a relatively small advisory practice, 25 million, 100 million, 200 million, and you've got a handful of people You want to be able to go to battle, win a $10 million account, a $30 million account. And when I was at my fund, I was being regularly called into these meetings to try to help these advisors win these accounts, but they just didn't have the horsepower. So the concept was to build an investment program of primarily fund managers, but also a really sophisticated trading desk. They would all be plugged in in a white label format to a financial advisor and be able to allow that advisory practice to punch really above their weight, something more sophisticated, allow them to close the bigger accounts, allow them to scale and things like that. And that really was the concept. We took our first accounts in 2018. In the first four years, we raised about $6 billion in new accounts, helping our advisors win business. It grew a lot faster than we ever thought it would. And honestly, we were a little bit capacity constrained. And that's when Orion came calling. Okay, well, before we get into your new role at Orion, which I want to do, I want to ask about your work at the Ballard Social Impact Center. What do you do there and what's Ballard all about? Yeah, this has been a lot of fun for both my wife and I. You know, years ago, probably now 18 years ago, a guy I did a lot of private equity with dragged me overseas 
to work on a little project with him as a volunteer. And it really is something that we call impact investing, which is another way of saying it's not charity. It's for-profit businesses, but their customer or what they do solves some kind of social ill. Primarily poverty could be environmental issues or whatnot, but it's done not through the lens of charity. It's done supporting entrepreneurs that are building businesses that are self-sustaining businesses, but they by design are trying to solve these social problems. The Ballard Center based out here in Utah is actually one of the largest groups in the country that does this. And so I've made a lot of my own personal investments in that space, worked with a lot of fantastic entrepreneurs over the years. And so we've been lucky to be a part of that group and we've been able to make investments around the world with these types of social entrepreneurs. It's something that's very different than ESG. This is really, you know, where the rubber meets the road. It's been a lot of fun, really great business models. Wow, that sounds very cool. Yeah. And very exciting as well. Well, let's speak about something else exciting, of course, and that is your new role at Orion. And again, as the head of Orion OCIO, tell us more specifically about this role, particularly at Orion, and just really more about the opportunity in general. Yeah. Let me give you a specific example to help illustrate. Okay. So take an advisor, a financial advisor that's got a growing practice that might use Orion's technology, portfolio aggregation software, something like that. And maybe even uses part of the TAMP offering in one of our verticals, right? Uses some of our investments. What you find in the TAMP business in general has been over the last 15 years, the development of a lot of very interesting technology, right? We can put on an advisor's desktop, a dashboard of lots of different investment solutions, okay? But at the end of the day, a human still has to run it all. Right? That advisory practice still needs somebody to actually do the work for them. Right, So one of the offerings that is very common that our OCIO clients use is our high-touch, full-service trading desk Okay, with a big trading room out here in the West. And this is the experience for our advisors. Okay, Our traders in these cases actually become almost the employees of the advisor. It's not just execution services, Rusty. It's it's literally all of the functions that are attached to trading. Our advisors at the OCIO just have our traders do for them. And it can be things, you know, all the normal stuff you'd think of, like rebalancing, adjusting models, but it's the stuff you wouldn't think about, like cashiering services, money movement, RMDs, tax lost harvesting programs that are custom to you and your clients. What about those big tax transitions on an account that you win from another firm that you have to do by hand over several quarters or several years? It could even be something as sophisticated as hedging a big concentrated stock position or running a covered call program. The point is, is that our traders work and act like they're down the hall from the financial advisor. It's literally pick up the phone or access them to the portal or through email or whatever, and just tell them, do this. You know, this client needs $100,000 out of their account. This client needs to do the RMD. You know, this client has a tax loss problem and the traders take over from there. What that allows is a consolidated place for an advisor to touch all of their investments. It includes things that are on the Orion TAM, things that are not on the Orion TAM. It includes models 
that a financial advisor created for themselves, but they're sick of trading in their Schwab or Fidelity, you know, portal, right? They're done doing all of that manual labor work. It could be separately managed account managers that are delivering trade signals into the trade desk. This is a hugely popular offering of ours. And, you know, for us to be able to trade on a big trading desk like this, it's much more scalable than a financial advisor going out and hiring and building his own internal trading desk from scratch. Yeah. So you've kind of touched upon this. And I bet a lot of financial advisors listening to this are thinking like, this is exactly what I need. But in your own words, what sort of advisors are sort of the perfect advisors or should be considering the OCIO services? Yeah. And so I gave one example of services and I could give you four or five more, you know, depending on how much time we've got together, but that'll give you a feel. We only got three hours. Just go on. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So what we do is obviously for us in running a business, it doesn't scale to everybody, right? If you have a guy or a gal with a really small book of business, it's difficult to find the revenue to support that kind of high touch service, right? But once you start having, you know, $50 million in AUM or more, there starts being opportunities for us to work together in some of these high touch ways. What we're really looking for to answer your question, Rusty, are advisory practices that are growth oriented, number one. The growth in the future is what we are looking for. We are going to help add horsepower to that growth. And that's how we're going to scale up our margins on you as a client as well. Secondly, It's very regularly the type of financial advisor that doesn't want to have a bunch of employees. So we have financial advisors that have $500 million. We're trading it for them. We're helping them build their investment side of their business. And they might only have two employees because they would rather not spend their time managing a bunch of people. And instead of hiring their second or third CFA or their second or third trader, they'd rather lay that off and outsource that to somebody like us. So that that's really the type of advisor we're looking for. Yep. Great. So what is the market opportunity here for OCIO? So I think I've read articles where, well, as for a frame of reference, we know like the ETF industry is red hot in growth. We know that direct indexing is really hot in terms of growth, but isn't OCIO, doesn't that even have higher potential growth or has had growth in recent years? I think it's a lot bigger than it was a few years ago because the technology rusty is enabling it, right? It's the tech toys are so good now that my team spread throughout the country can interface with your financial advisory team as if we work down the hallway from each other, right? So what it allows you to do is optimize the workflows and it allows for us to really scale this business together. It also keeps infrastructure costs down. So I can do things for five basis points for teams that just 15 years ago, I would have had to charge 60 basis points for because I didn't have the scale of the technology. It would have required humans to do it all, right? So you're right. It's hard to say exactly what the size of the market is, but depending on the service you're talking about, it's obviously massive how many advisory firms could use this, you know? Yep. Now, how will Orion's offering in this space be different than other OCIO efforts in the industry? That's a great question because- One of the reasons I chose to come here to do this was that the technology that Orion has in and of itself is unique and impressive. There are also these other groups, Rusty, that, you know, the TAMP where you came from, the Brinker guys that came through, right? Those technologies coming together allows someone like me, who's providing all of this to one team to get a lot of scale 
but keep the cost down. In other words, we can take Orion's custom indexing software or tax loss harvesting algorithms, and we can put that all right into the offering now instead of going out and getting it somewhere else and paying extra for it, which is what I used to have to do before I partnered with Orion. So as Rusty mentioned, direct indexing is also really hot in the industry right now, and that's known as custom indexing at Orion. So I do want to ask you about that. That's you know growing even faster than the ETF industry. So can you tell us why this is growing and which advisors and investors do you think custom indexing is best for? This is such a great question, Robin. The 1.0 of direct indexing was good, right? Because well, here's what it allowed. It allowed for somebody in a high tax bracket that liked passive investing to embrace the merits of tax loss harvesting and separately managed accounts in one world. Keep the cost down, own the index, but also tax loss harvest exactly the way you want it in your account, right? Okay, that's great in and of itself. The problem with it was it was limiting, right? You had to pick a major index. You had to just pick the Russell 3000 or the S&P 500 or whatever you pick. Today's custom indexing and what Andy Rosenberger and the guys over here at Orion have built is really impressive because now you can add the elements that you like from active investing. So here's a really simple example. Now you can take the same basic dashboard and say, yeah, I like the Russell 1000 or I like the Russell 3000, but here's what I'd like to add. I'd like to get rid of all of the companies with stressed balance sheets. I want those gone. I'd also like to get rid of all of the U.S. companies that pay no dividend. I would like to have some cash flow coming off of this, right? I'd like to get rid of any company that's not ESG friendly. I like environmental sensitivity, right? You see what I'm saying? Now you take that same technology, that same offering, and you customize it for you, the advisor, or even better, for that client that does or does not want something specific. Now you've created something that they can not go to Vanguard and get, right? They need you as the advisor, but they're still doing it like at a really competitive price, which is, you know, this is the best of both worlds, you know? It's really fun that we have you here, says because given your experience, given your success, given all the conversations and relationships you have, I mean, you were obviously a thought leader in the industry. So, you know, given all of these changes going on in our industry, how do you currently assess the current climate and the outlook for wealth management? Oh, here's the big change, okay? We have an investment community that has started to look at investments as a commodity, okay? I hear a lot of people just talking generically, I'm either going to own stocks or not, as if it's just one option or not, right? Okay, that has made the life of a financial advisor more challenging. However, what's happening with the technology development is the financial advisor can play roles now that they couldn't play before and that the accountant can't play and the attorney can't play. Value can be added here. So a great advisory practice now is going to be able to help in areas, number one, tax, right? But even in other types of non-correlated strategies and even estate planning and things like that, that can be tied into this now, that's where the puck is going. If you're an advisor that is living and dying by just having a basket of ETFs, it's going to be a much, much more challenging environment going forward. You have to be able to provide these other elements of customization and service 
and sophistication, even into alternatives and things like that. Yep. All right. So we probably, we may have already answered this question. I'm sure you have already answered this question, but the next question is like, what is, in all your conversations with financial advisors, what do you think advisors and their clients want most these days? What is the short list of their top desires? What do they need? Well, I sit in an interesting chair, Rusty, because I'm like you. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm in a lot of client-facing meetings with financial advisors. They bring me and my team in to help them close really large prospect opportunities, right? So most of the meetings I sat in, I sat in two this morning. They were both over $10 million opportunities for advisors to win, trying to steal it from some big bank, right? Okay, so I get to hear the client's go on about this every single day, even though I am not a financial advisor. And it's always, Rusty, the exact same stuff, okay? First of all, I just said it in the last comment. There has to be a differentiating element. You can't just bring what everybody else is bringing to me, right? It's very commoditized. Most people can go into a a portal at Vanguard or Wealthfront or wherever now and just do something on their own, right? So it's gotta be differentiating. And that's super important that you have a story You know, what is your competitive advantage? If I sat down with you as a financial advisor right now and I said, what do you do better than everybody else? If you don't have an answer for me, you've already lost. Okay. So number one, you have to have that. Okay. Number two, and this is timeless. Why are you not communicating with me? It's still the number one reason that clients fire advisors. I don't hear from you. You're not communicating. You're not teaching me. I don't know what we're doing you know, that is a problem. Like we have to find ways to educate our clients, bring them along and help them feel a part of the process, right? The third thing is then in the investment offering itself, you've got to be a little more sophisticated. You know, like I said, margins are going to zero. If your strategy is to own an index, it should cost zero. It's just computers driving it now. So what will you add in there that can save taxes add alpha, reduce volatility, right? There are still things that you need to help that client accomplish short of just buying the S&P 500, which is a very tired game. Okay, I'm a financial advisor, let's just say I am, and I am convinced I need OCIO services. So what kind of due diligence should I be doing on potential firms providing OCIO services? Or for that matter, what kind of due diligence should advisors be doing on even TAMPs? Yeah, this is such a great question because the answer actually lies in looking in the mirror, okay? There are financial advisors, Rusty, you know this, right? That They're great business people also. They're not only great at advisory work, they're great at building a business that they run. But there's way more financial advisors that either have no interest in it, they don't want to build some big business, or they're bad at it, or both, right? I mean, let's face it. We all have skills. I'm a surgeon in some things. When Orion called me, I told them, right? The first thing I told them was what I suck at, at Town Square, right? Like you have to have a sense of where you're weak. Okay. So the answer to what you're asking is driven by where your pain is. Okay. So when I sit with financial advisors, you should be able to tell me what is your number one and two core competency. What are you excellent at and what do you love doing? And let's get the rest of it off your plate. And we either get it off your plate to employees or you get it off your plate to an OCIO or a TAMP. And by the way, an OCIO is just a TAMP on steroids. It's just a higher service TAMP is all it really is, right? So all of the conversations, if I sit with you 
and you're a financial advisor, we start having this dialogue. I'm going to start by understanding your business and your pain. And it's different for every firm. Some people, Rusty, they have a hard time closing. They're really good strategic tactical thinkers. They're not a great salesperson. They have a hard time closing. I have a whole group here. We do 30 client facing meetings a week to help people close. Okay. It might be trading. I'm sick and tired of henpecking in Veo all day to place my trades. Get me out of there, right? It could be, hey, listen, I believe in investments, but I don't want to be a CIO or a CFA. You got to help me curate best of breed investment options so that when I go into a knife fight to get a client, I've got the best of breed options here. So I don't know if that answers your question, Russ, but that's what will drive what OCIO or TAMP program is right for you, you know? Yep, I like it. So switching gears a little bit, as Rusty said, you know, you work with some of the best financial advisors really in the industry. From that experience, what do you think some of the common attributes are that you see between some of the best? And what are the attributes of the fastest growing advisors? Yeah. Number one, you know, when you look at these really high performing teams, okay, they do have these really common threads to them. Number one, they have a genuine passion for helping these clients out. There's just no way around it. Like you have to, right? Okay, you just can't be here if that is not the mindset. But the second part of that then becomes, who are you? What are you actually trying to build? It goes back to that prior question about what are you great at? And I can't believe how many financial advisors cannot tell me what they are exceptional at, right? What puts them in the top five or 10% of all financial advisors? You have to build a practice and have a keen understanding of what you're trying to build. Early in your career, you probably were just thinking, just get anything I can, get any form of commission or revenue I can in the door. Where you become great is you decide, no, 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 all these clients, I'm not taking. I'm good at this and I'm taking this kind of client and this is the build. So there's an intense focus on the business that you're building, right? And That's what leads to people growing great advisory practices. Okay, to your second question, we get to peek inside the books of a lot of big multi-billion dollar practices, but I'll tell you what, most of them five years ago were under 300 million. They have grown lightning quick. You would think it's through acquisition. It's not. Acquisitions are incredibly difficult. I'm not saying don't do them. They're just really hard. Most of this growth that we have seen And I'll just tell you, I'll take a small victory lap here. Our 60 teams that we support right now have grown their assets under management by over 60% per year for five years. Really high growth businesses. One of my favorites went from 35 million in AUM to about 1.3 billion, all organic, no acquisition. Okay. So what's really interesting is the one thing they all have in common is they are teams. There are no sole practitioners in there. It gets very difficult to build a great business without partners. It can be done. And I have one or two of them. But partnership models are incredibly powerful. Let me tell you why. Number one, it's healthy for us to argue with each other. We need creative tension in our businesses to improve who we are. Okay. Number two, clients want to see your depth. Many, many clients have called me after a meeting and said, I'm nervous because Bill is just Bill. If he gets hit by a train, it screws me. Like people want to see a team. And if you want to win high net worth accounts, 
with any regularity, you better have a team. Now, OCIO can help with that. TAMP can help with that. We can add depth, right? But you do have to start sharing the wealth. And I'll tell you what, there's a cancer. Many advisors have a very, very hard time sharing the wealth with anybody else. And the irony of that is they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. They don't want to share any of their income, but actually, believe it or not, they're limiting their income because they're not allowing themselves to accelerate the growth of their firm over the next several years. All right. Well, one more on your experience, and this is as a successful money manager. So we're looking ahead to 2023 at the moment. So tell us your outlook for the global financial markets. What a wild time. What a totally wild time. You know, four months ago, we were having the conversation about a mid-month Fed rate hike by the Fed. Remember this? We were all saying, hey, they should raise 100 basis points right now, like mid-month, right? And now here we are four months later, and what are we all worried about? We're worried about a recession. We're worried about the Fed overdoing it now, right? That's Okay. We're living in the bizarro world. We're working off a drunk hangover. But if you landed here from another planet and you turned on any form of media that we have access to, you'd think our economy was plummeting. It's asinine. Our economy is in tremendous condition. I know I hate to be bullish because if you're smart, you're supposed to be bearish. I get it. But like, if you look at what's under the hood, okay, when you look, examine small business, big business, and households in this country, as a group, and of course there are outliers to this, but as a group, the balance sheets are unbelievable. The bank balance sheets haven't been this good since the 70s and 80s, right? The average small business has not had this much cash in the bank account as a percentage of their business ever, ever, right? You think about the average homeowner is 25% cash in their investment assets right now. Okay, there's a wall of liquidity and clean balance sheets out there. Bank of America six weeks ago showed us inside their loan portfolio. You look at the four biggest segments of lending, right? Mortgage, HELOC, auto loan. Okay, the FICA scores were all over 750. That was the average FICA score of Bank of America's loan portfolio, right? Banks as a whole in this country are only lending out 60 cents on the dollar. They're stockpiling trillions in cash. Okay, we're looking at the wrong problem here. The risk at this point is that this is going to get away from people. So opportunistically, okay, and this is why the Fed is in such a box here, because the worst thing that can happen is you slow down the economy and you don't tame inflation. So the Fed has to hit us over the head with a baseball bat, but we all better sharpen the pencil and be looking for ways to opportunistically invest because the opportunity is here. It's presenting itself to find opportunities because you are not talking about an economy teetering on the edge. So I actually think I would not be surprised to see risk assets rally and rally hard. I know that seems totally counterintuitive right here, but there is a wall of liquidity out there. And if it's proven that we can get inflation under control and not ruin our GDP, what do you think people are going to do? Right? If the economy doesn't fall off a cliff and we get inflation under control, what do you do? You got to get back to the business at hand. So the balance of risks has really started to change. And again, I hate to be you know optimistic. Now, on the flip side of this, there's one caveat to this, okay? There's not a lot of really cheap assets. This is the problem. So you have to work a little harder to find alpha. You know, for the past 15 years, we could just buy Apple, Amazon, and Google, right? That's how we could find alpha. I think those days are dead. They're too expensive, these assets. So you got to look under a few more rocks. You got to get a little bit more creative about how you invest. 
But looking to hide is absolutely the wrong answer right here. Equities themselves could, you know, be flat for a year or two and do the work of getting a little cheaper. But earnings are going to drive this. And I'm just not seeing a lot of slowdown here across the board. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but I'm a lot less pessimistic than most people are. Well said. I do agree. I mean, everybody's talking about how everything is just so bad with the economy, but I mean, heck, the labor market's still near like the best levels in 40 years. And I always talk about the liquidity as well. So I agree with you. So I get a sense here that with every one of our questions with you, Kurt, it actually could be a podcast in itself. And this next question is just like this, but obviously most of the financial advisors we work with are essentially entrepreneurs. And as you mentioned, they're business people. So it's also obvious that you're an entrepreneur at heart. So my question is, when did that begin for you? And in turn, what advice do you have for people who want to go on their own entrepreneurial journey? I love this question. You know what the truth is? I'd love to say, oh, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a completely reluctant entrepreneur and CEO. When Eric Clark first reached out to me, CEO of Orion, we had our first meeting and I told him, I'm a crappy CEO. Yeah, I built a couple successful businesses and sold them, but that's not what I want to do. And the truth is in the answer of your second question, Rusty. And by the way, I teach one finance class up here at Brigham Young University out here in Utah. And I tell my students every semester at the end of the semester, you know, all these guys are wanting to go to Wall Street or wanting to do whatever. And I always tell them the same thing. The faster that you can learn what you're exceptional at, just like what we talked about with the advisors, the faster you can learn what you're better than most people at, that by the way, you also enjoy, the easier and quicker your career and your income will grow. Too many of us are trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. If you wake up tomorrow and you think, I want to be an entrepreneur, I'll tell you what, you're probably going to fail. I'm going to bet against you, okay? Because great businesses are not designed because you want to be an entrepreneur. They're designed because you do something already that you're an expert at, and then you see a window of opportunity to do something better, and you jump in there and you solve for doing it better. That's how great businesses are developed. Well, let's say you're not very entrepreneurial, where you can still have that same level of success by understanding I'm great at this. And Rusty, the truth of the matter was when I was a young guy, I wanted to be an analyst, a fund manager. I wanted to be one of the smartest hedge fund managers on Wall Street. You know, my analytical brain was what was driving me. And you know what? It took me a long time to figure out I was actually better at teaching, speaking, working with clients, you know, helping clients. Now, granted, a lot of them are big clients, Fortune 500 companies or whatnot, but I like the engagement with people and educating them and educating these groups. And so the first guy that called me a salesman, I thought I was going to punch him in the face, you know, because I just didn't think that was valuable. I didn't think that was cool, you know, but the truth of the matter is that's one of my core competencies, you know? Yeah, that's great. All right. So I think my next question, it's really on topic of leadership. And I kind of have a hunch that the answer might be somewhat similar. So again, you're known for a lot of good things and that includes your ability to inspire and motivate people. So what is your secret of success for leadership? (laughs) You know, the funny thing about that is that the truth is, is when a lot of people first meet me, they think I'm a used car salesman. I mean, that they think that the way that I talk or my mannerisms or my enthusiasm or whatever is, you know, 
And I've had really dear friends of mine tell you, hey, when I first met you, I thought you were full of garbage, you know, or whatever. And the truth of the matter is what you see is what you get. I, I really love this. I enjoy it. I love, let me tell you one of my favorite things in this business. I love helping a small advisory practice steal a $20 million account from Goldman Sachs. I mean, I am beaming at the back end of that. You know, I love seeing that little guy get over and provide better service and attention to a client than Goldman does. Goldman doesn't care about a $20 million client. So you have to have an inherent passion, right? The second thing is, it's amazing to me. And I tell my students this all the time. Don't BS me. I ask people questions all the time that I don't know the answer to because I want to hear them say, I don't know. You know, if you want to be great, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is what I suck at. That is a powerful, powerful tool. And most of us don't have the courage to acknowledge where we're strong, but also where we're weak and to be able to augment what we do. The other thing is, is you have to be humble enough to surround yourself with people smarter than you better looking than you, more talented than you. Too many people have an ego that gets in their way of thriving, right? They want to be the guy or the gal that's, you know, sort of out in front. That's ridiculous, right? This is not the objective is to be in front. The objective is to create something great. So I find a real lack of humility around, you know, being real and being genuine. And I think the great inspiring leaders are people we can relate to. You know, they're honest and we can see through them, you know. All right. Well, for the final segment of the show, we want to ask some of our favorite questions here that we ask most of our guests. And the first one, this is a new one. Professionally, you are surrounded by incredible resources in terms of people, tools and ideas. So taking all of that into account, what is currently your favorite investment? Mm, my favorite investment right at this moment. What is my favorite investment? It depends on the audience. I hesitate to say what I want to say. You know, <laughs> I, um, I actually just invested in a couple of very aggressive hedge funds. One is in China, because every time I say to people something about China being cheap, I can't believe the level of vitriol that comes back at me. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I receive hate emails when I say publicly that I think China is starting to look interesting. The second largest economy in the world has become uninvestable. Yeah, I'm not buying it. There's value all over the place. You just have to tap it, right? And I could go off on that. I'll leave that one with you, but I will with a gigantic asterisk say, there's a truckload of risks around China. You have to really be careful how you address it and with a really small amount of your portfolio. But I don't know. I don't know, Robin, if that's the question you're asking that's a great point. I loved it, you know, and I totally agree with your assessment of this situation as well. It's despite a lot of attractive investment characteristics when it comes to sentiment on China, it is almost mind-boggling. You know, we could next year, there is a possibility we could have a recession in the US. However, the global economy could still grow because of China leading the yeah. way. So yeah. there is that possibility. I love emerging too. markets right here, yep. Rusty. I'm with you. And you know, and and I'm just going to go on record, China's never invading Taiwan. Come on. I mean, look, I used to do business. I used to live in China. Yep. I'm still on the board of a company yep. in China. Look, yep. the Chinese aren't the Russians. The Russians are thugs. They're the mafia. China is way smarter. They're way more sophisticated. These guys play their pocketbook. Yeah, they beat their chest for their people. They talk tough. Okay. But at the end of the day, it is about money. 
if you are doing business in China and 40% of their GDP comes from the West, there is no way that they are going to risk the entire world raining down on them, especially after she saw what we did to Putin. I think it's off the table now. I think it's an unwarranted worry. Ah, great points. All right. So our next question is a fun one. I think it's going to be a fun answer too. So in our profession, we all have the obligation to perform at a high level. So how do you perform at a high level? So how do you maintain your health, both physical and mental, to ensure that you are performing well? You know, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, but I'll tell you what is important to me is having a balance. You know, I got married older, Rusty. I'm 51 years old. I have four kids under nine, you know, so I feel more tired. I'm not sure I'm performing at the level I should be. You know, I'm up at (laughs) night. I'm giving babies bottles and crap like this, you know, like, so I got a really late start, but I will tell you, I had my first kid when I was 42. It was the greatest single moment of my life. It changed everything about how I felt. I couldn't believe you could love another human being in the way that I did when I held my son that day. And that made me a better professional, Rusty. I have to be honest with you. I've been more effective and efficient as a professional, as a dad, and taking care of my family. And I prioritize them. I don't miss ball games. I say no to certain airline trips that, you know, maybe I should be on, you know, they have to have that kind of balance. I think it has made me a better operator in my career as well. Wow. I think you've kind of segued into our next question too. And that is, of course, you've been around so many successful people and many of them have helped you get to where you are today. So who are some of the people that you are professionally thankful for? So many years ago, I converted to the LDS church, the Mormon faith. And I went on one of those missions where you go out and wear the white shirt and the black name tag and ride around on your bike and all that fun stuff. So I did that for two years. There was a gentleman that was sort of like the dad of all the missionaries. They call him the mission president. And he was also a convert to the faith and was the former CEO of a really big publicly traded company. His name is Dick Winwood, Richard Winwood. You know, at a really important time in my life as a young person, you know, he showed me that you can be a really successful business person, but also of the highest ethics and character, you know, be a person of your word, never backstab somebody, you know, never cheat somebody, man, I needed that. Cause I, I just wanted to go to wall street and get rich. And every time I would talk to Dick on the phone, you know, throughout my twenties, he stayed like a second father to me, you know, and he was worth a lot of money, but he said, Hey, Sid, let me tell you what, man, you play it straight. You do good by people you know, treat them right, be honest. And man, I'll tell you what, Rusty, that has paid for spades in my career, you know, in treating people that way. Sometimes you think you don't have anything to get from them, but then man, you find out later, it comes all the way back around to you, you know? I love that question. I love that answer. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, well, one more before we let you go. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners on what they should be reading, listening to, books, newsletters, podcasts? What are you taking in? I think you should be listening to The Weighing Machine. That's what I think you should be listening to. Yeah, Yeah. right on. Come on. (laughs) No, you know what, Robin, I read everything. I absorb everything. I'll put in a plug. Follow me on Twitter. We're at the Town Square Cap handle. What I try to do is run a Twitter page that is completely absent of bias and spin. It is just the data, just data and facts that are usable kinds of things for people. And so, yeah, check us out there. But no, I 
there's so many people I love and I try to absorb anything and everything, but I can't really think of one specific thing I'd recommend. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really great to have you and uh, tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about what you're doing at Town Square and at Orion. Yeah, you can just find us at townsquarecapital.com or come right through the uh, OCIO button on the Orion website and find us either way. And obviously, hey, if anybody wants to follow up and have a conversation about OCIO services at Orion or anything else, we'll get you in touch with the right people. I know you already know that with Rusty. He's been here a long time and, and a lot of people really respect what he does. And so, yeah, we've got resources to help you if you need help. Well, thanks, Kern. And uh, you know what? I cannot believe I was not following Town Square Capital. I've just hit follow. Oh my gosh. I thought I was all nice. over that. But well, Kurt, this has been a fantastic interview. I've really appreciated your time. I really look forward to all the exciting things that are going to happen in 2023. And I look forward to your next time you're on the weighing machine. That's great. Hey, you guys, thanks for having me in. And uh, it's great to be here at Orion Rusty and working with you. It's a lot of fun. All right, good stuff. Well, that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words. Invest well and be well. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And hey, if you liked this episode, please remember to subscribe. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. Thanks again for listening. Robin and I truly appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time. We hope to provide you in each episode something you can use in conversations or making decisions or both. If you like this podcast, you might also like some of our sister podcasts at Orion Advisor Solutions. First, we have the Wang the Risk podcast, which I host monthly. On behalf of Orion Risk Intelligence, this is where we consider various market scenarios regarding top-of-mind concerns among financial advisors and investors. Next, we have one of the top-rated and most popular podcasts in the financial industry, especially when it comes to behavioral finance, Dr. Daniel Crosby's Weekly Standard Deviations Podcast. And when it comes to all things fintech, we also have the bi-weekly The Fuse Show with Ryan Donovan and George Figuera, two of the funniest guys in the industry. You will learn something and laugh in every episode. Last, when it comes to more content, including commentary, videos, and other resources, please check out the website, orionportfoliosolutions.com, go to the research drop-down menu, and go to the Financial Advisor Success Hub. Thanks again, invest well and be well, and we'll talk to you next week. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information that participants consider reliable.